the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you are new here, welcome. If you're a disruptor, welcome back. We've got an awesome episode for you today. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa, and this is my partner in crime, Tabitha from Australia, as you can tell from the terrible accent. And we are so excited to have one of our friends on here tonight who we've been looking forward to and wanting to have for about two years and we finally made it all work. So welcome, Nicole Fortune. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. So one of the things... We are super psyched to have yeah, you. Yeah, because you've done so many different things and we one of the things we really want to talk about is how you've worked with an endoscope and how you've worked with laser and how you've, I know I actually have read some published work with you with Strahlman on using, the, um, I'm going to say it wrong, is it the Ender Game with the, you've done yeah. so many different things in dentistry. And so I'd like to really pull apart all the different aspects that you've kind of done and what you think and, and your learning processes and finding out about that. So maybe should we start with the endoscope? Cause that's one that I'm, I like hearing about. <laughs> well, I think it's important to know that, you know, it, and this is the, the, the one thing that people can take away if they're listening is that I kept myself very, very curious. And um, because when I first started in uh, dental, this is pre-internet, right? This is pre-everything. <laughs> um, I got very bored with the local um, CE, not that they were bad, but it was the same people with the same messages. So I started sending myself, I, even as a student, I sent myself to ADHA. I went all over the country looking for alternative, um, alternative education um, that was going to spark my interest. Um, so it all kind of started there because I started getting outside of my bubble because I think we, we all kind of practice in a bubble. Um, so that's my, that was my drive was just to not be bored every single day doing the same thing. And then I, I did do some, um, um, uh, assisting with my perinatus when I first started working with him and I, that helped to, um, change my mindset to, you know, we learn all these things in school and that's great, you know, and that's our foundation, but it doesn't necessarily teach us how to think when we have that patient in the chair and, so I was able to get a good um, sense of how he was looking at patients and where his mind was going and that in what and then what treatments would be recommended. So I started putting things together with my um, the education I was seeking outside of the state and outside of my immediate circle and also the things that he was saying to patients about how we were going to treat them. And I wanted to find ways of how can we be more effective in our non-surgical treatments. I had so many patients, they just don't want, they don't want their gums cut. Go figure, right? I mean, it is, it works. It's a fantastic, you know, flap surgery, periodontal pocket reduction is 
is great um, because it does work. You, 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 it works all the time, really, um, because you, that initial incision you're gonna lob off a few millimeters anyway of that yeah. pocket, so you've already made it, uh, you've already made it more shallow. Um, <clears throat> but it will, it will work, and it has um, saved a lot of of teeth, and it's brought a lot of mouths to health. But if you've ever assisted in it, it's brutal. Mm. I mean, talk about, you know, glassy surfaces, right? <laughs> I don't even know what, the name of what those instruments are, but I mean, it is just, it, they go to town. There is no holds barred, right? And of course, the research also says, right, that they're leaving behind up to what, like 20 to 30% calculus, um, even with that aggressiveness. So anyway, that's a side note. We never get it all off, okay? It's, um, we have to rely on the patient's um, immune system to be able to tolerate a certain level of, um, of debris that we, um, we miss anyway. Um, so it, it is, it is aggressive and people just don't want that. So, uh, I didn't know much about endoscopes. Um, I started using lasers first. Um, and, but I didn't know much about endoscopes and my doctor was reading, um, uh, an article and he said, do you think you'd ever want one? And I had learned a long time ago that, uh, you know, if they offer to buy you something, you just say yes, and then you figure out what it is later if you don't know what it is. And that's exactly Reach that, that sister. <laughs> I was like, absolutely, I'll use it every day, you know, and then I went and researched it. And I was shocked to find out this technology around since the 80s. I mean, of course, the imaging wasn't great, um, but it had been around for a long time. And I hadn't heard hardly anything about it. And and it was shocking. So we got our, our unit. I was one of six hygienists and um, no one else seemed to want to know how to use it. So it was me uh, and my doctor. My doctor sat down for like 30 seconds and said, this is too hard because <laughs> he was working in our world where the tissue is still intact and you had to be very, you're going millimeter by millimeter and you're trying really hard to uh, to adapt instead of just lobbing off the tissue and going at it. Um, and so he gave up and I, then I, I, um, so it was all kind of me and I never expected to get surgery like results in so many of these cases that I did. Um, I never expected that. I was shocked. Some of these advanced cases that, you know, these, these infrabony defects in the distals of the seconds that uh, surgeons love because they, you know, there's no aesthetic issue. That's that hard keratinized tissue. You can lob a ton of that off. And the ones that we hate, right. Because <laughs> you can't really adapt um, in there well, especially if that, that tooth has, you know, like say big hips to my patients. So they understand what I'm talking about <laughs> because of it's that contour. Um, and that hard tissue has a hard time healing and tightening up uh, for us non-surgically. So I found a lot of, those are my first initial cases just to test it and see how it went. And all of a sudden these patients would come back and they, and, and they had healed by thyself. You know, I took a film, it was three months into their healing and you can see bone regeneration. Um, and that's before adjuncts, you know, that's just, that's just debridement. That's just debridement. Um, and so it was, um, after that, that I, I started to think about the other aspects of, you know, perio is patient specific, tooth specific, site specific. And what are we really looking at here? Um, yes, we need to do effective debridement on that root structure. Um, but there's also platonic 
or plant plantonic um, bacteria hanging out in there. There's also, um, you know, there's also bacteria that are enmeshed in the soft tissue. Um, and, and also if we're talking about implants, there's probably titanium ions and cement and calculus embedded in that gigantic lesion. And how are we going to, um, how are we going to set all of those three elements up along with the patients working and doing their work um, and to, to be able to heal and want to heal and want to do what the body wants to do, right? That's the whole reason the inflammatory response is there is because it wants to heal. It's trying to do its job. So how do we tip the scales so that there's more of your there's more of your body doing its thing versus the bacteria destroying it. Um, that's a long answer. <laughs> so it's a beautiful answer, though. Beautiful. I'm so I love sorry. it. Uh, but people are always and so so that's where things started. Other things started getting piled in because if I could do if I if the patient um, could have these results with simply with debridement then all these other adjuncts could be a little insurance policy. So maybe we could become more predictable with those, with those techniques. Um, so that, so, so that's how, you know, Periscope started. And it really is in my mind, it is the foundation. Debridement is the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. What was definitely. the hardest thing when you started using it? Oh, you know, it's kind of like indirect vision, you know, because yeah. <laughs> we all kind of, at least I did, I avoided that. It's probably when my neck hurts, but in the beginning I was like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and then eventually it becomes second nature. So the hardest part about the endoscope is, um, is the learning curve of getting used to using it. Now I, um, it reminded me of when, you know, playing video games when, and, and I'm old. So my video games were like Pong <laughs> and, you know, Mario brothers and old stuff, but, um, <laughs> um, things that were on your Atari, but, um, you know, once you get, once you get into the rhythm, you no longer have to think about where that image is in the, the mouth. It becomes very automatic. So people have to trust that it gets there. I think it gets very frustrating because it took me about a dozen, um, a dozen um, sessions, you know, a dozen quadrants or whatever uh, to feel like I was very smooth with it and where I didn't have to take extra time. Um, because you ultimately you're, you're cleaning, excuse me, you're debriding, um, millimeter by millimeter. So it's, it's fine work and it takes time. So that's the clinical hardest part. The, the second hardest part with the endoscope is, um, um, it's, it can be doctor buy-in honestly. Um, and just in general and how to, how to use it, even in my perio office where I didn't initiate the purchase of this equipment, um, at one point, I was told, don't take my surgeries away from me. That was an exact quote, and which is something that we have seen in other offices like uh, Dr. Oris Kormanicki in, in Arizona, a periodontist. All of his hygienists had endoscopes, and he still did plenty of surgeries. Um, and there are others as well um, that um, utilize it. So, But I think that there's definitely this... Um, this fear that there's not going to be enough to go around, you know, but there's plenty, there's certainly plenty. It's a yeah, thing, isn't that's it? like a, because you think 
a mindset. Really, we should yeah. be basing treatment on patients' needs, not on the types of procedures we want to perform. Uh- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's right. Exactly, and, and doing it in the least invasive way possible. Yeah. Exactly. And and even though, like you discussed before, we know surgery works, we also know that you will get a level of recession with surgery. Like yeah. that is, and we also know that for sure. So it's not that surgery doesn't work, but we know non-surgical will reduce the recession, will have better aesthetic outcomes, will have less hypersensitivity. So therefore we look at the overall oral health quality of life it's an improvement versus surgery. And surgery is there for when, personally, I feel for when non-surgical fails. That's how, mm-hmm. that you know, we should do that cyst protocol at least once, see what our results are, and then we move to surgery if it doesn't work. It'll never go away. It'll always be needed. But, it, but I think at the end of the day, you have to look at every patient as what does my individual patient need, not what's my favorite procedure. And, and then, you know, we have to just go into that with, because, you know, even sometimes we talk about this on, on the show, sometimes even OHI wise, you know, I definitely have favorite things, but then like, I hate flossets. Do you call them flossets in America? There's those little handy, yeah, no, uh, floss aids. I hate them. But if a patient, it's the only thing they want to use and that's what they really want to work with, then I'm showing them how to use one of those crappy flossets. (laughs) You know, and I'll keep trying something else. But at the end of the day, our wants can't be the thing that drives anything. Has to be so patient centered on their wants and needs. Right. Well, that's a systemic issue. That's a global systemic issue within dentistry, right? Like we we make decisions based on our comfort, what we want to do not what's best for the patient, the outcome, and and practicing minimally invasive dentistry. I mean, we are so brutal in our approach because there are, like, exactly what you just said. Like, we can do this in a minimally invasive way and have a great outcome. Why are we not having the applying the mindset that we always do that first? reevaluate and see because even if if it's an entire quadrant of active perio if you do it non-surgical and we can localize it down to maybe two teeth yeah there you go now we we have less of an invasive procedure we have to do but what all it's it you know i'm just gonna come out and say it it all comes out to the money right it's all money making and i think that's the biggest divide between dentistry and hygienists because they won't allow us here, mostly in the States, to have our own practice. So we can't sit here and say we know what it takes to like keep the lights on. Some of us know and understand that because we have more of like a business mindset. But, you know, just set us the frig free and we'll do it and you can stop complaining. And then you'll yeah. get to do more of your restorative work and surgical work. Because when we've exhausted the ability to do it from a non-surgical standpoint, guess who gets it? You do. So you still right. make money. So right, just exactly. like, let's change the broken system already. Sorry, yeah. I've totally digressed. No, I, no, it's okay. It's hard to it's hard to hear that hygienists are a burden in an office. You know, it seems like that seems to be a theme in some some offices, and then also not being, you know, like you said, set free um, to do what we want to do. But going back to the the surgery piece of things, I mean, at my mind, I always thought, how many surgeries can we do here? Um, you know, because we know that this is not we're not we're not going to cure them 
with right. his surgery. Um, <clears throat> so if it's completely receptive and there's no regeneration, you know, there's a limit of how many times you can cut away tissue and take away supporting soft tissue. So in my mind, anything that's tissue sparing, <laughs> but still is, is definitely the first thing that you want to do. Yeah. Well, if you so, had an infection on your foot, we would apply an ointment. We would wash it. We would apply a wound healing, um, you know, bandage, maybe something first. We wouldn't say, mm, let's cut it out. <laughs> Yeah. We would go. It's true. That is weird. Like if it was on your face and someone said, "Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a non-invasive way. Or we could just cut it out, and you can just have this big wound, and you'll lose. You know, you might have a, a bit of an indent there, but you'll be fine." We would say, "What the hell? Get away from me and run!" Like, <laughs> but for some reason, we in dentists we do it a lot. Like when you know some orthodontists still take teeth out routinely. We wouldn't remove our little toe yeah. to fit in the shoe. Why do we pull the tooth out of the mouth? <laughs> right, right. No, you're right. When you, when you compare it to these things, you know, I, I'm a bit shoe obsessed and I have a large foot. I'm a size 10. Like, so I, you know, I find it hard to find shoes that fit sometimes. I don't go, might remove two toes and then all the shoes will fit. <laughs> Or I want to fit into a size two jeans, so let me take my bottom rib out. That I'm tempted. Right? <laughs> my waisted is still in. <laughs> I need all my ribs. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, look, I think I think we have been one of the slower professions to let go of that mindset. Um, because you know, because there was a time when it was all we knew, it was the only option we had. And at that time yeah. it was the best option available. And it was the only option. And I just think, you know, when we started orthodontics, look how much it's changed. When we started periotreatment, look mm-hmm. how much it's changed. And I just think that, um, yeah, we have to really just always be increasing our learning. And I imagine, though, Nikki, when you first started using that endoscope, it would have kind of been scary because you would have been out of your comfort zone majorly learning such because I've I've seen some clips of the endoscope. I've been really lucky enough to watch um, Nikki present, and I remember sitting there thinking, "I don't even know what's on the screen." <laughs> yes, yes, hundred totally. percent. Totally. Yeah, like she's totally. she's like dissecting it, and it's like so neat to like as she points out, she's like, "This is the biofilm, and here's the calculus," and you're like, "Holy crap!" Like, whoa. no, I was in the back going, "I might be the dumbest person in the room." That's biofilm. <laughs> It's, 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 it's awesome. Um, and I think I sat there for those first, you know, few months with my shoulders like crunched up and I was all kinds of anxious and nervous and, you know, stiff and you know, the patient would, I'm like, no questions. <laughs> Cause I'm trying to focus. <laughs> you can't say anything <laughs> because I need to get through this and I'm so, don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, but it is, it's pretty amazing. Um, what you can see and what you can do and patients patients would I can't tell you the number of times that patients are like well you're not just a hygienist then are you and that used to frost my buttons so badly because it's so cute yes. I would have said something so crass and you're like frost my buttons <laughs> she's a lady she's a lady yeah okay <laughs> we're vulgar Tabitha <laughs> She's a lady and we're vulgar. Yeah. That's 
Yeah, but I was trying. I thought this was. I thought this was a family show. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I got explicit warning on all episodes. No, we put explicit warnings on every episode. Do you not even know who we are, Nicole? <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think. Yeah, I, I, I have like hats off because I really that was one of the things when I watched you present on it, and it, and I was blown away. Unfortunately, I tried to buy one after your presentation, like out of my own money. But they don't stop to Australia because I was like, I want this so bad. <laughs> I know. I will I know. finance it and have my own. My doc and I had a lot of conversations. Yeah, because yeah, I was going back and forth and I was trying to get one because I wanted one so bad. But um, I couldn't get it in Australia. Yeah. But I was blown away by your presentations. But I was also blown away with that is one steep learning curve. And that's not an mm-hmm. easy thing to pick up. And you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone in a major way to take on some technology like that. Yeah. So I want to talk about that exact piece because I feel like, you know, we profession generalized, we have a really hard time with our mindset shift on different technologies. The three of us have all been in this industry for 20 plus years. We have seen massive change go on and we've had to abandon ship in our own patient care from that foundational learning of hand instrumentation being the the main event of what we do into these other technologies that all three of us have utilized. So talk to me a little bit about, because I'm at the point now where I think it's like almost like a personality piece of this, not, not almost like, I think it's a big part of this is that, you know, there's personalities that are just like, okay to continue doing what you're doing because that's, that's how it's taught. Like professor so-and-so taught me this back in 1978 and that's how I will do this until I put my scalers down versus someone like yourself who is like, I have the opportunity to use this technology. I want to do more. And that seems ingrained in you right from the start, because you said as a student, you were looking for more education. So like, talk to me a little bit about that giving yourself that grace and that time frame, like, do you think, do you think there was like science behind it? Do you think it was just your personality? It was like, I'm going to get this no matter what. Tell me a little bit about your thought of integration. So I think that I've always worked with people who have seen more potential in me than I saw in myself. And I really have to um, give shout outs to the offices that I've worked in um, for asking me to do more, um, in the sense of, um, you know, talking me through their procedures, um, discussing treatment plans, keeping me kind of in the loop of how they're thinking, and then encouraging me to um, to try things on my own. It, there's no way the endoscope, the laser, the Emdegain, um, all of this stuff would have ever come together if I worked for... Um, you know, a doctor that was very limiting in what they would allow me to do. So when I was in oral surgery, um, I was there as an assistant for many years. And, um, you know, over time, I think it's part of my personality to be very curious. Um, But obviously, doctors recognize that. And over time, you know, I was doing a lot of things Um, I learned a lot. I was doing a lot of things that maybe, um, a lot of the assistants weren't doing like helping out with sagittal reductions when we used to have to wire people shut, you know, I'd be on one side and the doctors on the other side, um, you know, starting, starting lines, doing different, different things 
that were at the top of my, my scope. And then I worked in Perio with a doctor that also um, started keeping me in the loop of his, um, his mindset and where he was going with his treatment, which got me excited about what we were doing. And then we started, um, he started sharing his journals and we, you know, I started thinking about how this all applies to hygiene. Um, so part of its personality, part of its environment, um, I think that most people have to be advocates to be able to do that. Um, I, I do know that um, I was very fortunate to work in those environments. I work with some of the students, the, the third year, se they're seniors here. It's a three-year program and um, they're in, in their clinic. And I asked them, so what's after this? And, you know, what, what do you, what's your plan for the future within hygiene? And they look at me like I've got, you know, like with, you know, deer in the headlights kind of thing. Like, what are you talking about? Um, because, and, but, you know, a lot of this isn't really, a lot of this is not necessarily ingrained limitations in our brain. In hygiene school, we are taught this is the way you hold this scaler and this is the way right. you do this. And you're kind of, you're kind of programmed to follow their exact recommendation or instructions on how you treat each and every single patient, each and every single thing in your life in hygiene, because that's how you pass the exam. Yeah. Right. And you we teach and, to the test. <laughs> exactly. And I understand that's the gateway. You got to get through those doors, right? Before you can even, you got to have that license. And I get that. Um, so I think that when we get out into practice, we follow that too, because, because we've had that ingrained in us. So, so, um, so and it's scary. It's scary when you're like finally on your own. You're like, should I even be allowed to be doing this without someone hanging over my shoulder? Oh. It's very scary yes. in the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. It's the first time, like the first time I ever gave an infiltration in private practice. I'm like, are you numb? Are you numb? Were you numb? Are you numb? You still numb? You're numb? Because like, <laughs> I can't believe I did it myself. <laughs> you know, nobody was yeah. standing over me. So no one came trying not to give it away that you were my first one, but... <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, I started, I, I did my first infiltration on a live patient by myself. I put, everything was fine. The patient was numb. I put the, the syringe down. I went to start instrumenting the patient and I was shaking so bad after the fact, like I had to get up and walk away. And I went to the doc and I was like, why am I shaking now? Like I did it. And he's like, your adrenaline just kicked in late. That's, exactly That's all. It. That's it, man. So, you know, I think I'm hoping that by having my presence in the, the class that perhaps I'm touching some of those folks that have a natural inclination to be um, curious and want to uh, try, want to continue to perform at the highest level of their, of their scope um, and encouraging them and, and starting a spark with them so that when they go out into the, into the world, they can carry that with them. Um, so hopefully that, that happens. Um, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I hope for the next generation too, we can, we can pay Like, I think our generation is required to pave the way for these yeah. newer clinicians. And I think that they're going to have a lot more opportunity and freedom right. than we have yeah. observed in our professional career. But I think our role is so important in order to make that happen for them. I, I made an Instagram post two days ago, actually, and it said life is hard for two reasons, because you're leaving your comfort zone or because you're staying in it. And I was like, oh, it relates yeah. to this conversation so much because it is hard getting out like Nikki did and doing something like that. But if you stay in that comfort zone, you don't create the easiest life for you. I, just, I think, you know, 
you won't have as a filling career and you know you'll miss out on so many opportunities so getting out of that comfort zone is so uncomfortable especially for some people but so worth it long term yeah and and it is every time that I have ever embarked on something that I had no clue what I was doing. Like when Tabitha three years ago says, Hey, you want to start a podcast with me? And I was just like, Oh my God, you're asking me to do a podcast with you. Of course I want to do this. Neither one of us knew what the hell we were doing. That's a good right? But we figured it all out. We freaking figured it out. Did I spend 10 hours a day at the computer trying to edit shows? Sure I did. But like we set up Apple iTunes, we figured it all out. And here we are three years later and we're, we're doing this thing, right? And it's grown into something bigger than the two of us ever imagined it would become. But like, it's the same thing with anything you do in life. Like you figure it out. You're gonna screw up. That's totally fine. Yeah. You know, like how many, she's called me up like, oh my God, we put the wrong one, the wrong episode up. It's the not edited one. Pull it down. <laughs> not home. You know, like things like that happen. It's going to happen in your operatory too, right? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You're going to learn not to do that again next time. Like in that kind of scenario. Yeah. I've done right. that so many times in my clinical career too, but like, I feel like so many people are just so afraid to try something new. Yeah. I mean, like in the right environment, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a big piece. It's a big, big piece because, you know, and it's okay. Like, like Tabitha said, like if you're staying inside your comfort zone, but there's something tugging on you that you want more that's like the universe letting you know, like maybe you've exhausted this time here. And, you know, we, we do take a lot of abuse in offices in certain ways as, you know, hygienists, I feel, especially the ones who are a little bit more of like that nonconformist and curious and want more. I feel like when we start to use and find that voice and, and say things within the hierarchy of the practice, you get, you will observe pushback and you'll be like, mm, let's just go do your prophylaxis. You know, we don't need to get all fancy like, but you know, if you, I, I absolutely, um, love lyrics and poems. And if you're in this space, I I actually had this hanging in one of my operatories. It's a quote from Maya Angelou. And it said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. And I think that's so applicable for us. Like when we try to make change and you're just hit with wall after wall after wall, then maybe that's the time that you're like, you know what? This place doesn't work for me anymore. It's time to move on. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Especially now when there's many opportunities. So, you know, you can try different places on and see how, see how they fit because you're not going to have this personal growth and career satisfaction while delivering high end dentistry is not going to happen in an office where we're concerned about production only, um, and selling fluoride and selling toothbrushes. That's, that's, that's a different world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a lot of times too, I think clinicians don't understand, the impact of like, you might, this practice might be working with a consultant and this consultant might understand business very well, but is not a clinician and is asking you to do things that kind of go against the grain of your clinical knowledge or, you know, things along those lines. I'm, I'm a true believer that when you just practice hygiene appropriately and to the highest level of your scope and standard, everything just organically flows. And when you center it on treating the patient appropriately and selecting treatment or products that really go in alignment with achieving health and disease remission, everything falls into place, like production wise and scheduling wise and all of those things. 
do what the um, patient needs and it will be, you will be successful. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, so one of the, other- I love the fact okay. that Melissa, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we do this to each other all the time. Um, I love the fact that you looked at these different aspects. Yes, part of it was you and your personality, but like having this environment and and the support too. Um, How would you recommend to a clinician who is interested in, you know, looking towards getting these technologies? Like what kind of advice would you give someone to, you know, start presenting that to their office? So I think that it's going to take a little bit of um, research. Um, So we need to present things in different um, lights. I think that the easiest piece of your research is going to be patient benefit, right? So showing, um, reaching out to someone like myself, looking at some of the things that have been written, um, some of the results, Tom, Dr. Tom Wilson's results with um, endoscope and treating teeth and and dental implants and, and presenting that in a nice, concise manner while also taking a look at, you know, what's your perio in, in, case, in the case of this, you know, what's your perio um, population? Um, does the, the office have a goal of, of bringing in more, uh, more patients? Do, you want, do they want to treat more of those patients? They want better. What's your acceptance rate right now for, um, and how much, for procedures for, you know, scaling and root planing? And what's the success I know it's a lot, but, and then you look at the dollars and the cents. So, um, you know, how much is this unit going to cost? How much is it going to cost for you to use it in the beginning stages? It took me twice as long to do something. So if, um, it took me an hour for a quadrant, it was two hours for a quadrant in the beginning that does get better, but in the beginning, um, so figuring out what all of that costs, and how much are you charging? How much can you potentially charge for this enhanced service? And what will be the ROI of that? And then there's another piece that doesn't happen here in this state because we don't have any specialists. I mean, our, you know, we have three peri- I think it's three perio offices in the entire state. We no longer have a cross. So um, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to be good to be busy. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but they, sure. it's, uh, it's very busy, but there, I go to other places and you're competing. There's a specialist on every corner. Um, there needs to be a competitive advantage. And so I think sometimes that's what the goal of some, um, consulting companies is to come in and try and, and define the office and, you know, all of this stuff and find out what the competitive advantage is. Um, but leveraging technology, certainly can be one. And there's many, it's not, it's not difficult to start putting together a rudimentary, you know, social media um, campaign behind what you're doing with your technology and people will come. I have a website that talks about just about me speaking about these things. That's it. It's pretty basic. I haven't updated it in forever. Um, So there nowhere on there does it say, "Hey, send me a message, and I can do this for you um, and work on your mouth." But I get emails all the time from within that website of people from all over the place that want to travel here to my little tiny state and have me use the endoscope and do all of this work. And instead of doing traditional periodontal surgery that has been recommended. So there is a population for this. There is 
there is a market for this. So if you're going to talk with your doctor about introducing this, you need to have your background information on how it works clinically, what the cost is going to be, what the um, advantage is going to be to the, the practice, how that can be implemented as well. You kind of have to have it all spelled out because honestly, they don't have the time or many times, um, you know, kind of the, the bandwidth to wrap their brain around something brand new. And if you spell it yeah. all out for them like that, then, then you, then, then I think you can, you can start, um, you know, getting them interested Yeah, and I in the product. You have to think like a business owner, like, like, like you're putting forward, like what is that return of investment for the business? Because at the end of the day, <clears> they <throat> have to balance those books. That is the reality of life. So, you know, you want an expensive machine, why? Like, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to have to, to want that why to invest because, you know, they have to own that and keep it if you leave and all of those things. So why do we want this machine for this business? And I think that's a really good point. And um, when we go there with a really good message, like when I, I, I've got technology before where I've, I've gone there and said, all right, well, this is what I think the return of investment is going to be. This is how I use it. This is what I think the outcomes will be for the patients, blah, blah. And I've got that machinery because they're like okay yeah you've put a business case forward we might we we right. need this Let, let's, it's like a proposal yeah yeah totally absolutely and i think that's definitely really important. and you know not all bosses want to move forward or you know to do that but i think when you at least come with a good argument and a good why just like we talk about with patients yeah. they need to understand the why to buy into our government yeah. well the the owner, whoever that is, needs to understand the why of why we want to buy that machinery. Um, you know, the why is right. important to everyone. It just changes. Right. Yeah. Um, some other technology that I know that you've um, used a lot of is lasers, and that's somewhere where I'm actually mm. not very well educated at all. So I'm being selfish, and I'm going to get you to educate me more. <laughs> what makes <laughs> get into using lasers in perio? So my doctor, uh, my perio doctor, oh gosh, you know, years and years ago, I want to say 12, maybe 15 years ago, um, decided to get on the Lenap bandwagon, laser-assisted new attachment procedure. And he um, went out to, um, I, I want to say it was Seattle, maybe Northern California, West Coast, and he was trained by the company and brought back this laser. It's an ND YAG laser, and um, so it the um, rep came to our office and talked with the staff and what we were taught was just how to clean it and how to store it and, and things of that nature, not really told how it works, why it works. And I had noticed on the screen, the touch screen for the different settings, there was a hygiene setting. And I said, well, what's this hygiene setting all about? And he said, well, you can't use that. And I didn't like that answer. <laughs> so I, so this is, again, kind of pre-internet-y. You know, there weren't any webinars. That wasn't a thing um, to learn. And so I called the company and I got the same answer was, you can't use this. It's too powerful. And still not quite satisfied with that answer more not so much a you can't tell me what to do attitude but more of a, I want to know how this works yeah. you know I don't have yeah. any, any have any resources to understand how it works so that I can better explain it to the patients so 
I found this gentleman, Dr. Silver, in uh, New Hampshire. Um, and he was a classic, right? Old colonial house that had been turned into a dental office with chairs, you know, with the serial number of 001. <laughs> you know, this all this old equipment, but a million lasers. This doctor had been a part of the design of many different lasers for companies. It was kind of his thing. And I called him and he said, yes, you can use it. And yes, I can train you. So I, myself and all of the other hygienists, we all piled up into my, my Subaru Tribeca and we drove over to New Hampshire and we spent two days <laughs> um, in, New, in New Hampshire with Dr. Silver and he trained us on that. And he, he had one of those and he trained us on how to use it. And thus my... Um, my excitement and fascination with laser light began. The whole idea that you can take energy in one form, either through AC, through an outlet or in a battery, and transform that energy into a different form that is now usable blows my mind. Absolutely explodes my brain. Um, so I was just fascinated at the um, way we could use them. Um, in helping our patients. So we started doing, we, we, he started doing LENAF procedures. We started um, doing laser root planning and scaling um, to, for bacterial reduction of the pocket. The la that laser in particular um, is highly attracted to dark pigment, which is what the nuclei are of these um, um, gram-negative bacteria has a very distinct dark color, so it's very selective. It's only attracted to what it's attracted to. Um, this particular laser goes deep into the soft tissue by several millimeters and also into the dental tubules by several millimeters, so it's a far-reaching um, antimicrobial um, which is fantastic, but what I what I think and what I what I feel in some of my um, laser nerds also have echoed this recently is that a lot of the benefit may come from the photobiomodulation that happens with lasers. So the encouragement of healing, the body likes light in certain doses, which is why the sunlight, you know, helps our bodies in certain levels, right? Um, so in certain, so not only is that laser disinfecting and decontaminating for us, but there is a level of uptick of RNA and DNA synthesis, encouragement of healing and reduction of inflammation. And um, I, I um, sometimes wonder how much, which benefit is really the, the, the greater benefit in, the, in, the, in using it. Um, but there is no doubt that it is valuable to the patients. Um, and I try to, I don't just use it during scaling and root planning. You know, many times I would have a lot of fragile patients that you just look at the tissue and you're like, okay, one of these times you're going to come in here and it's going to be bombed out because you are just so... Your, your perio is so fragile. I use that on, on them during their, during their, their routine and maintenance, if you will. Um, so it's, in, it's given us better results, um, but it's also increased patient acceptance because patients see lasers at, just as they do the endoscope, which is minimally invasive, modern, and something that gives them a new hope for an old problem such as perio. So when you're using oh gosh, laser, I love that. where do you, like, where do you use it in that you know, the, the sequence of the appointment, like how, how does that sequence of the appointment go? So with all of my, with all of my toys, 
<laughs> with all of my my technology in in place um i would uh you know after local anesthetic um you know, you take care of any large pieces of calculus because that laser is typically delivered through uh, a fiber optic, which is glass. So if I'm, if we have super gingival calculus and I scratch it along there, then my little glass tip is now scratched and that laser light isn't necessarily all coming through the tip. It's going out these different little scratches as well. So it's not going to be as effective. So we go through and make sure we don't have any larger pieces of calculus. Um, and then that's when you start doing your things like your GBT um, and your debridement um, of, um, hard substances with the, with the periscope. And at the end, I would then do, um, laser bacterial reduction. And also I like to do a couple of other things, um, that aren't necessarily common with hygienists because I picked these tricks and tips up from the LANAP procedure. So my settings are going to be different um, than my doctor's settings. Um, he, I can't curatage in Vermont, but obviously he can. So he's going to turn that laser up to a point where it's going to strip the diseased epithelium away from the connective tissue. Um, but I can't do that. But what I can do or what does happen is many times you end up creating bleeding inside the pocket uh, when you're doing your instrumentation. I'm going to use that bleeding so that I to help create a blood clot that is really nice and firm and hard around that tooth. That's part of the Lanat protocol. They use that laser to create a fibrin clot. So it's got more fibers in it. It's stronger than a clot that you would wait for to develop. So I'm going to use that laser in that same capacity because I can, and the blood is present, not because I curatized, but because I did my work and I started some bleeding there. So I'm going to use that laser to help force a blood clot and keep the bacterial uh, pathogens out of the space that I have just debrided. Mm, that's and, so interesting. I love that. And then, so I'm using that. And then the second step that I'm going to do is that if, I, if you look at it through loops as you're using that laser and you're creating that clot, so you're not really touching anything. You're just kind of waving it around there and you're seeing some smoke happen, seeing it coagulate. You'll also see this whiteness that happens along the gingival margin. And I believe that that is epithelial tissue that's getting dehydrated. Um, so bonus, right? Because we know that's going to grow faster than our connective tissue does. And so if I'm killing off that outside layer incidentally, then that's not going to, it's going to slow it down. Um, I, I know of a LANAP provider here in Australia and I was listening to him at, like in a talk and he was saying how um, the patients aren't allowed to brush their teeth for 10 days post surge, like post LANAP. And I didn't really understand that. And I was in a room just of dentists, so I, I kind of like kept quiet at the back of the room and, um, and I couldn't be bothered that night either. And I was like, is that common? What I didn't understand was like, don't we, like what, does that biofilm not cause an issue in that 10 days? So there are some very specific um, rules that the LANAP uh, creators have, yeah. uh, just like, um, you know, the pinhole technique has like pages and pages yes. of, of post-op stuff. But what I find is that offices tend to gravitate toward what worked for them with other procedures in the past. You know, we tended, we started to, to just go back to what we normally know. Um, so the whole idea was not to disrupt those clots. It takes about a week for those clots to dissolve away on their own. So we're afraid that people are going to brush those clots away. Yeah. So having said that, we never, we, we started out that way, but we didn't, 
but and they we don't do it that way anymore. Um, and I certainly don't do that post SRP. I will tell them not to touch that area and you know for 24 hours. Let's just let it be, uh, whatever, wherever I yeah. worked. But after 24 hours, I give them a uh, you know an extra soft or post surgical uh, manual brush, and I want you just to do the crowns. Don't be a hero at the gum line for the next week. Yeah. Um, that way, they are keeping that film off. Um, but they're not doing their 45 degree angle. Yeah. So they're not intentionally disrupting that. And I also tell them there's no water picking. There's no, no, no floss. Um, you know, if, if there's something stuck in there, we do some kind of a proxy brush or go between brush to gently remove it. But I don't want anything going down underneath there. And you explain to them, you've got a blood clot there, you know, that's, that's, that's your bandage. Um, and I've had phenomenal results with that, with that process. So, um, that's the mentality behind the 10 days. Uh, but it can still work without doing it that way. And I agree with you that that's a long time, especially if it's, if it's a, the initial treatment of someone who's hardcore perio. I mean, the last thing you want to do is, is, is give them a license to slack off on any of their home care. Yeah. And I wondered that I was thinking in my head, I was like, why can't they just have a surgical toothbrush then? Like it was something that I was like at the back, like going like, you know, cause like you look at the, um, the TP surgical toothbrush, it's so soft and like gentle. And, and the Curaprox one is beautiful. Yeah. It's just very, you know, it's whisper soft. Like we yeah. hand them out post implant surgeries all the time and you know, they clean that wound there. And that was something I'd wondered. I was like, why don't they just, Use a surgical brush. <laughs> you know, like, fair enough, not an electric toothbrush that's like, you know, that they are quite aggressive in some ways towards the gums. But, yeah, I was like, I just don't get that. <laughs> but I'm sure they were trained. I think that the 10 days was something that originated from the Millennium Company that developed the Lanap protocol. So, you know, you have to kind of follow those steps in order to call it Lanap. That's all, yeah. that's all um, you know, branding. Yeah. And... Um, so yes, you use it. And then with the laser, did you kind of treat some patients with laser and some not and do some little like experiments in surgery and see, or like what, how did you, like, what did you think? Like, how did you decide that, that this works way better when I use the laser? So I, once I was trained in laser, I never not used yeah. it. <laughs> Is that a proper sentence? Yeah. Um, double negative. But yeah, I didn't, I, 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 because I felt like I had to th throw this, you know, the kitchen sink, everything at my disposal. I, I want to give this patients, I want them the best opportunity to heal without having to go through surgery. Um, I will tell you that when we did uh, Lanap surgery without the endoscope, because at one point we were, we started to incorporate the endoscope into that Lanap surgery. When we did it without it, we would tell the patients, well, we will make things better, but we can't be certain of how much better we will make yeah. them. Um, and so some responded well, some didn't. And you know what I think part of it is, is that um, a big part, I, I think all of it is debridement. Um, so once we started using yeah. the endoscope, our results were much more predictable. And I think back of us assisting during these LANAP procedures and watching my doctor with that piezo that he, that he was using and just going so fast. And now knowing what I know, watching myself and how you just have to kind of slow down to debride appropriately. It's, it's no wonder, you know, that, that our results weren't fantastic without it. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big, 
mindset shift in how we go about because we're we're so even I think culturally even from school we're like get this patient done get this x amount of these patients done in this amount of time sometimes that's not that's off like you were saying like when you first started with endoscope you needed something that took you one hour you needed two hours to do and um you know it's not always about the dollars and the hour and the production it's about the outcome of the treatment and if you need more time to have a successful treatment that then falls in line with the science and the predictability and the long-term, you know, what's the goal? We're trying to put this disease in remission and keep it there. Right. Like, yeah, we need the time to do that. And and that's a, a big, another, you know, red flag cultural issue we have within dentistry that, you know, you know, you should be see a patient on the hour every hour, get two quads done in one hour. So-and-so hygienist can do it. So why can't you, you know, that's like, the, the, the negativity yeah, <laughs> right. surrounding with that. So, you know, but, but I like what you said earlier that if you're looking to go down a road like this, you need to kind of do that research and know that going into it so that you could present it that way. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, when I first started talking about it in my practice, you know, and I said, it's going to take longer periods of time. He's like, what, you're crazy. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? You're going to, now you're going to take double the time. And yeah. I was like, yeah, but we're going to get but a better result. Yeah. 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 So, You'll get- you know, it, yeah, it's, it's tough, but, um, Nikki, this was amazing. We definitely need to get you back because I feel like we didn't even like <laughs> hit topics. That we, yeah. Yeah. I was trying not to be yeah. corny and say that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we definitely have to get you back. Uh, it's always amazing learning with you and having discussions with you. You are one of the biggest brains in dental hygiene and I absolutely adore you. Um, and Likewise. I, you're, you're just, you're a clinical superstar and we love you. So oh, thank you for God. taking time out. Oh, love you guys. I'm so happy to be here and I'll be, be my pleasure to return. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely got to get you back. So, um, real quick before we let you go, if somebody wanted to learn from you or get some more mm-hmm. information from you, where's their best way to go out and, and find you? So I have, I do, like I said, I, ha- I do have a website, NicoleFortuneRDH.com, and you can send a message through that. Um, and also my personal email address is N-I-C-K-Y, that's Nikki.F as in Frank at Hotmail.com. So those two ways you can, you can reach out to me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. You are a true disruptor and we love you with all of our hearts. Until next <laughs> thank time. You guys. Okay, guys. Thank you. Keep on disrupting. Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.